You may open your Bibles, of course, to Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3, where the Apostle Paul defends the truth of the gospel against gainsaying heretics out of Jerusalem who were seeking to add the works of Moses' law to the finished work of Jesus Christ. I hope you love the Lord Jesus Christ this morning, that you've enjoyed singing praises to His name, that you enjoyed hearing Him read about from four different passages of Scripture. While you have your finger in Galatians chapter 3, which is what we want to consider this morning, turn way back in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 11, and let me remind you of the history that we're dealing with. Paul appealed to this history and the order of it, And he appeals to the history of the Old Testament on numerous occasions for some of his arguments in defending the truth. Some may not be totally familiar with the order of events. Some of you are very familiar with these events. In Genesis chapters 6 through 10, we have described Noah's flood. Noah had a son named Shem. Through Shem, the Lord Jesus Christ would come. Whenever you hear people speak about anti-Semitism, meaning those who hate or despise Jews in public, it's referring to that son of Noah named Shem. Because out of Shem came the Hebrews and the nation of Israel and the Jews. But notice in your Bibles, the flood of Noah was Genesis 6 through 10. God drowned the entire earth with a flood. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. He drowned and suffocated old and young alike, men and women. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Out of Noah came Shem. And they began to populate the earth again. And we come to Genesis chapter 11, and we have the Tower of Babel. The Tower of Babel occurred during the lifetime of a man named Peleg, which you can find him in Genesis chapter 11. He was a descendant of Shem and a great-great-grandfather of Abraham. And we have introduced to us Abraham, the great-great-great-grandson of Eber and Peleg, in the last few verses of Genesis chapter 12. This is world history. This is God's inspired record of world history. This is where Abraham came from. He was a descendant of Noah through Shem. And he's introduced to us in the last part of chapter 11. We're given his wife, his brother, his father, and a little bit of history about where he came from. And then we come to chapter 12 where God begins dealing with the man named Abram. And he calls him to come out of that land of the Chaldeans and to come into the land of Canaan. And this is a a story that's told throughout the Bible. We have it again in Hebrews 11, that he obeyed the Lord. He didn't know where he was going. He hadn't been there before. He wasn't familiar with it. He didn't know what he was going to do there. But he obeyed the Lord and he went out. That's chapter 12. Chapter 15. We're further into the life of Abraham. Chapter 15. This is where we have the words in verse 6, And he believed in the Lord... And he counted it to him for righteousness. God called Abraham to come outside and look at the stars of the heaven. And the Lord said, count them for me. Abraham couldn't count them. 
And the Lord said, this is how many your seed is going to be. Abraham believed the Lord. And it was counted to him for righteousness. It was the evidence that Abraham was a righteous man, that he would believe God in such a way. Come to chapter 17. That passage I just read to you from 15 is what is quoted several times in the New Testament, many times, as the single, signal, most important event of justification in the Bible. Abraham's justification. How he was declared to be righteous because the faith he had in God was counted to him for righteousness. It was shown to be the evidence of Abraham's righteousness. Now in chapter 17, the Lord promises him again. He's 99 years old. That that son he's going to have is going to come through Sarah. And he gives him a covenant of that promise. That there is going to be a seed coming through him that's going to bless all nations. And chapter 17 is circumcision. Now notice, 17 comes after 15, doesn't it? Even if you're only in the first grade. 17 comes after 15 because circumcision wasn't given to Abraham until later in his life after God had said he was a righteous man in verse 15 by faith only. Then we come to chapter 22, which our brother read to us this morning. Chapter 22 is when he was going to offer Isaac on an altar. This is far later in his life. Now Isaac has been born. And Isaac's a young man wise enough to know that going to build an altar with his father and not having a lamb with him was not a good combination. And he said, Dad, what are we going to do? Where's the sacrifice? You can read about the answer to that in verse 8 of Genesis 22, where Abraham said, My son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. So they went both of them together. You know, Isaac had a lot of faith. Uh, Wouldn't you say that Isaac had a lot of faith and trust not only in God, but in his father as well, to allow his father to bind him and lay him on an altar and lift a knife to slay him? Abraham had taught his son the fear of the Lord. And the two of them together are a wonderful example in Genesis 22. But I want you to get the order of these events. It says in Genesis 22 that God said, Now I know that you fear me. Now wait a minute. Abraham had been fearing the Lord for a good 40 years. God is speaking after the manner of men. He had put Abraham to a severe trial, and Abraham confirmed his faith once again. And we had read to us this morning James chapter 2 that tells us it was this event, this work of Genesis chapter 22 that proved the faith of Genesis 15. And that's what we're doing every day of our lives. You may have laid hold of Jesus Christ at one particular place in your life, but every day after that, every year after that, we want to be proving that faith to have been sincere and truly by the grace of God by bringing forth works to prove it. And therefore, James could say, ye see then how that by works a man is justified and not by faith only. Because faith by itself does not prove righteous character unless it's backed up by works. And so we have a history. But let's keep going. Turn in your Bibles all the way over to Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20. What happens in Exodus chapter 20 is we have the Ten Commandments given from Mount, on Mount Sinai to the nation of Israel. And this is God's covenant of works through Moses. 
Now notice the order we just went through. We had Noah. We had Abraham. We had Abraham believing God and leaving the Chaldean nation to go to the land of Canaan in chapter 12. We have him believing God in chapter 15 of Genesis that he's going to have a great seed that's going to be numbered like the stars of heaven. He doesn't get circumcision until chapter 17. He doesn't really prove that faith until chapter 22, 30 years later or so, when he offers Isaac on the altar or he attempts to offer him on the altar. And then we come to Moses and Mount Sinai, way over here in Exodus 20, which is 400 plus years after that. The, you need to keep all this history in mind when you're reading Galatians because Paul appeals to it. Oh, you, you teachers out of Jerusalem, don't get these, or, don't get these events mixed up. Abraham didn't find peace with God through Moses' law. Abraham wasn't declared righteous because he cut himself in the act of circumcision. Abraham was declared to be righteous because he believed God's promises of things God was going to do and had already purposed to do. That's why we want this history well established in our minds. It's my job to teach you the Word of God. And some of you may not have all these events in their proper order. I just gave them to you. Flip back a few pages to Exodus chapter 12. Exodus chapter 12. This is the chapter about the Passover. The first Passover being held in Egypt by the children of Israel. Look at verse 40. Now the sojourning of the children of Israel who dwelt in Egypt was 430 years. That's an important verse. That's one of the Bible dilemmas. For those of you that like Bible dilemmas, you need to look at Exodus chapter 12 and verse 40. And then you need to go see what God said to Abraham and to Moses on a couple of other occasions where he uses the number 400. And it can be easily figured out. If you were to look at new versions of the Bible, they would alter the commas in Exodus chapter 12 and verse 40 to deny the truth of God's Word. We're going to run into this 430 years in Galatians chapter 3 and verse 17. Because there was 430 years between Genesis chapter 12 and Exodus chapter 20. 430 years... God wants you to know that the works covenant that He made with Israel came 430 years after His promise to Abraham. Abraham never saw that covenant of works. Abraham was given a promise that he was going to have a great seed as numerous as the stars of heaven, and he believed it. And that was counted to him for righteousness 430 years in advance of what the false teachers out of Jerusalem were trying to teach those poor Galatians. I hope you're all with me. 430 years later. Let me just look at that verse 40 for just a second. Now the sojourning of the children of Israel. I have taught you something about English that you should remember, but most of us don't, so we have to review it because we didn't pay attention like we should have. When you have a little parenthetical element in a sentence that is enclosed in commas, it may be removed from the sentence. That's why it is in commas. It is separate, additional information. Let's pull it out for a second. Now the sojourning of the children of Israel was 430 years, and that's the truth of God's Word. If you go read the New Bible versions, they've taken out the commas so that they've got Israel down in Egypt for 430 years. Egypt, Israel was in Egypt for only 215 years. You can easily figure that out by the ages of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Jacob went down into 
Egypt when he was 130 years old. You say, are commas that important? Ask your English teacher if commas are that important. This is the 430 years. Now the sojourning of the children of Israel, who happened to dwell in Egypt for part of this time, was 430 years. They were in Egypt for 215, but in total they were sojourners for 430 because they didn't have a home until God gave them Canaan. Abraham was a sojourner. Never had a home. Isaac was a sojourner. Never had a home. Jacob was a sojourner. Never had a home. Never had a fixed dwelling place. They were strangers and pilgrims in the land of Canaan. Your commas are important. Children, remember that tomorrow when you go to school. Either at home or at school. Commas are important. You pull the commas out of that verse, and you would be led to believe that Israel was in Egypt for 430 years. Then you've got an extra 215 to account for that disappeared. Let's go to Galatians chapter 3. I hope that that little bit of history helps you understand that this world was depopulated once. The God of heaven depopulated it. The God of heaven drowned the entire earth. But He raised up a family named Noah. And out of that family came Shem. And out of Shem came Eber, Peleg, and Abraham. And out of Abraham came Isaac and Jacob and the nation of Israel. Those are the, that's the physical line of Abraham. We come out of Japheth, for the most part in this congregation, the father of the Gentiles. Brethren, this is one of the most glorious chapters in the Bible. Galatians 3, because it's going to tell some strange Gentiles living across the Mediterranean Sea from Israel that they, they are the children of Abraham. Now, wait a minute. We don't have the right father and mother for that. But we are the children of Abraham. It's a wonderful chapter of the Bible. These poor Gentiles that lived in Turkey, they had gone to a Jewish synagogue and they had heard the truth about the Lord Jehovah. And many of them had been converted to that truth. About the Lord Jehovah, they believed in one God, the God of Israel, the God of the Old Testament Bible. They loved to hear the stories of the Old Testament. You know, what I just told you a little, a few minutes ago when we opened this service was in Acts chapter 13, Paul went into a synagogue and he addressed Gentiles that were there. There were Gentiles there. They heard the truth of the gospel. These Gentiles had been converted from worshiping a polytheistic collection of many different gods. But now they heard about the God of Israel. And then teachers came out of Jerusalem telling them, that's not good enough. They heard about Christ from Paul, but these false teachers came and said, it's not good enough for you Gentiles just to believe that Jesus Christ has done all the saving work for you. You need to add to that circumcision and some parts of Moses' law. And that's why Galatians wouldn't even exist as an epistle if there hadn't been that controversy. Controversy is what has generated most instruction and teaching and the fine defining of points in the history of the Christian church. You know, there's a saying, necessity is the mother of invention. 
Well, heresy is the mother of precise definitions of theology. And so it's this heresy that's being taught in these churches of Galatia that causes Paul to write the epistle of Galatians and why we have chapter 3. And we want to remember that historical context. What, what line of reasoning is Paul following and what's he trying to prove? He is trying to prove to converted Gentiles who had trusted in Jesus Christ and had been baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, had cast all works aside to believe on Jesus Christ alone for justification, he was convincing them to reject these false teachers out of Jerusalem that were teaching them they had to keep the law of Moses. And so we come to Galatians 3. Eternal life is not the issue. Paul writes these people as them having eternal life. What is the issue is their understanding of the truth of the gospel. God had promised Abraham all sorts of things. A land, a seed, that all nations would be blessed through him. A covenant, as many as the stars of the sky for multitude. And defeat of his enemies. And all of it's fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Every one of those are truly fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Possessing the gate of his enemies is not David defeating the Philistines. It's the son of David defeating the devil himself and raiding his palace and his kingdom and taking us as his captive saints. As we go through this chapter, we want to remember what Paul's teaching. Paul's teaching against Jewish legalists out of Jerusalem. But when we see these verses, we have to remember how they're abused by Arminians and Calvinists So we have to take a different tack in addition to seeing what he was truly trying to teach those Galatians that first received this epistle. We're we're down to verse 6 and 7. Last Lord's Day, we made it to verse 6. Even as Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. That event took place in Genesis chapter 15, verse 6 when God told Abraham to count the stars and that he would have a seed as many as the stars of heaven. Abraham believed the Lord. And the Lord said to Abraham, the Lord counted that as a righteous act on the part of Abraham and counted it to him for righteousness. That was the evidence that Abraham was a righteous man. And here it is quoted in Galatians 3.6. Now Paul has followed several other arguments in verses 1 through 5. They're they're negative arguments. They're rhetorical arguments. When he gets to verse 6, because he's been using the word faith so many times, he says, even as Abraham believed God. There he's using that faith that he's mentioned in verses 2, 3, 4, and 5. Even as, in the very same way that Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. He's pointing out, he's taking these Gentile hearers, and these readers of his epistle in Galatia, and taking them all the way back to Abraham. Don't just go back to Moses. Don't let these false teachers take you just back to Moses. Why don't we go back to the father of Moses? Why don't we go back 400 years earlier and find the friend of God? Let's find Abraham. How was he declared to be righteous? By his faith. Not circumcision. Not the law but by faith. And brethren, this is the most important subject in the Bible. How can a man be just before God? 
that is the most important subject in the Bible. That's the most important question you should be answering in your life. How can a man be just before God? That's how Job would put it. There's only one way. There better be a perfect substitute to stand in our place and live a perfect life of righteousness, fully accepted in the sight of God, who would then lay down his life and suffer the penalty of death that we deserve. And then to show that he has successfully paid that price, he better rise from the dead. Because if he doesn't rise from the dead, how do you know that he got the price fully paid? There could be a little bit left for you to pay. And if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. Jesus Christ had to rise from the dead. Jesus Christ died, was buried, and rose again from the dead and ascended into heaven for our justification. That is how a man is just with God. God has a covenant people. Get the big picture. Why does the planet Jupiter and the planet Earth exist? And why do you exist? Get the big picture. God created a race of rational, intelligent creatures, and they rebelled against Him. He gave them the opportunity of paradise. He told them the one commandment that would offend Him. He gave them all the trees of the Garden of Eden to eat. But they chose to offend Him and rebel against Him at the, at the seduction of the devil so that our race was cast into condemnation. That was no surprise to the God of heaven. Get the big picture. God was not surprised in the Garden of Eden. It was His perfect plan. The reason you exist is a pawn in the hands of the Almighty God, and He's totally just and fair in doing so. He drowned and suffocated the whole race, except for the family of Noah in the flood. And He's coming again to burn up this world and to send all sinners to hell. How can a man be just before God? Because Jesus Christ was sent to live perfectly righteous for them and to suffer the penalty of death for their sins. That's the big picture of why we have the Bible, why we're meeting here, and how we're going to stand before God. And so Paul's telling these Galatians, don't you worry about those Jewish teachers. You know the effect that the preaching of the Gospels had in your lives. The, b- the blessing that you have by the Spirit of God is by the preaching of the Gospel. Those, this verses 2-5, through five, His arguments. The miracles that you saw worked in Galatia were by the preaching of the Gospel of Jesus Christ and the power that we have through His name. And then He comes to this beautifully sixth verse and says, even as your faith and the message that you heard, that you believed, even as Abraham believed God, And it was accounted to him for righteousness. You Galatians are righteous before God on the same basis that Abraham was. You believed his promises. God spoke and you said, I believe that. And you were baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And that proved your righteousness just like it proved the righteousness of Abraham when he believed God that he was going to have a seed as many as the stars of heaven. This is the gospel. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ this very moment. I tell you that God sent His Son into this world. And you better believe on Him 
Because He's coming from heaven with His mighty angels in flaming fire to take vengeance on all them that know not God and that obey not the Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. The evidence of eternal life and the proof of your righteous standing before God is how you respond to the message of His Son. He's not going to take you outside and say, count the stars. He's going to take you inside and have someone preach Galatians 3.6 to you. Now believe on the Son of God. You can't regenerate yourself any more than you can create the universe. But you can certainly declare yourself to be righteous on the authority of Scripture by believing God's testimony concerning His Son, Jesus Christ. Now believe it! And do something about it. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Could it be any simpler than that? You show me a person that hears the testimony of the Lord Jesus Christ, and instead of being bored, instead of being offended, they love what they hear. And they believe it. They believe it just like Abraham believed it when he stood outside and saw all the stars. They believe it. And then they get baptized. You show me a person that is willing to become a fool for Jesus' sake. Willing to be stuffed underwater, dunked underwater, buried underwater, dipped underwater, like Baptists have for 2,000 years since John the Baptist. You show me someone that loves the Lord Jesus Christ and is willing to be buried underwater in public and raised up again out of that water, and I'll show you someone that's going to stand before Jesus Christ and be accepted. That's what that verse means. Mark 16, 16. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Oh, the church of Christ loves it, but they don't understand it. And Baptists hate it because they don't understand it. We understand that verse. Those two things are the evidences of someone that God has saved. They are the evidences of a child of Abraham. Do you know before we can get out of Galatians chapter 3, we are going to know that it is by faith and baptism that you align yourself with the Lord Jesus Christ and are the children of Abraham. Do you know why he said he that believeth and is baptized? Because belief is too easy. Do something about it. Get baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the coming King of Heaven. And you'll wish you'd been baptized in His name when you see Him. And I love, I love the King. I get to represent. And I'm thankful He's my Savior. I'm thankful He's your Savior. If you believe on Him this day and have works to prove your faith. This is what 3.6 is saying to the Galatians. Even as Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness, you Galatians have believed God and the truth that I made evident among you. That's verse 1 of chapter 3. He was evidently set forth before you. I made it very plain. You're just like Abraham. Let's lay hold of God's promises to us. God promised Abraham a seed. God promised us eternal life. Before the world began. He didn't offer eternal life after the world began. He promised eternal life before it began. And we lay hold of it by faith, by believing that promise. It shows us that we're one of God's elect. No one else would ever believe the gospel. They think it's foolishness. They run from it. It's boring. They sleep during church. It's proof of the character of their hearts. 
Even as Abraham believed God, it was accounted to him for righteousness. It showed him to be a righteous man. God saw the faith and said, that man is righteous. And declared it so for everyone following Abraham in the whole Bible to know that when a man believes the promises of God, it shows that he's a righteous man. And so these Galatians didn't have to worry about adding anything else. They had been declared and shown to be righteous by their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Because guess what? When the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and glorified the Word of the Lord. These Galatians were glad when they heard Jesus Christ preached and they left the synagogues. And as many as were ordained to eternal life believed. And so Paul here is telling them, you are righteous and are standing accepted before God on the same grounds as Abraham. He believed God, showing his righteousness, and you have believed God, showing your righteousness. So we have the little adverbial phrase, even as, in the exact same way. Thank you, Lord. How free can it get? How free can it get? You know why it's so free? Because a price was paid that you can't even measure. God sending His only Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh. Praise His holy name. Verse 7. Know ye therefore. Know. This is something you can know. Know ye therefore that they which are of faith, the same are the children of Abraham. You show me a man living by faith, I'll show you a man that's a child of Abraham. This is not some decision of faith. This says they that are of faith. A life of faith. Because we had read in your hearing this morning, James 2, that faith without works is dead. It's as meaningless as telling someone who's starving, go home and be full. Bye-bye. What do you think of that? Someone who's starving is at your door and you say, go home and be filled. Bye-bye. And close the door on them. What do you think of that? That's what the Lord thinks of Arminian salvation. Thou believest that there is one God? Good job. The devils also believe and tremble. Because faith without works is dead as much as telling a starving person at your door to be full without giving them any food. That's what James 2 was teaching us. Know ye therefore that they which are of faith the same are the children of Abraham. What comfort, brethren! This is something you can know this morning. I am teaching truth to you that you can know. That if you are living the life of faith, I believe God. And I'm obeying God then you're the children of Abraham. Now, brethren, Paul plays with words. And I hope you love when he plays with words because when he plays with words, he's playing with them by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He uses a word in verse 7. Is it singular or plural? I'm not even going to tell you what word. What one do you think that I'm looking at? Galatians 3, 7. Know ye therefore that they which are of faith The same are the children of Abraham. Does Paul know the difference between the singular and the plural? Is he going to make an argument in a few verses about the difference between the singular and the plural? What's he using here? The plural. 
And he's going to go back and forth throughout this chapter. Because it is a plural seed. Do you know how many? It's a multitude that no man can number. Do you know what it looks like? It looks like the stars of heaven for multitude. But do you know what? It's all wrapped up in one seed. The Lord Jesus Christ. It's not in anyone else. It's not in Moses. It's not in the high priest of Israel. It's only in the Lord Jesus Christ. But it's all the elect of God. And so here he uses the plural. Know ye therefore. Therefore. What's the therefore therefore? What am I supposed to know and on what basis? Because Abraham was declared to be righteous by his faith. You have been declared to be righteous by your faith. Know ye therefore that because of your faith, your decision to leave the synagogue of the Jews, the temples of the false gods, and follow the Lord Jesus Christ, you are the children of Abraham. You are just like Abraham. And what's heaven called, brethren? I know I'm being simple. What's heaven called? Abraham's bosom. That's where you're going, Galatians. And on what basis are you going there? Because you've shown the same character that Abraham showed. When you heard the truth of God, you believed it. That is not what got your name in the book of life, nor what got you regenerated. You believed because you heard the truth of God. The Lord opened your heart, but you had already been born again. Your name had already been written in heaven. You're the children of Abraham. You're going to be in heaven with Abraham. You Galatians. And on what basis? The same basis that Abraham's there. He believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness. Thank you, Lord of heaven. Know ye therefore that they which are of faith, the same are the children of Abraham. Is that how they become children? Or does it show them to be children? It's B. It shows shows them that they are the children of God. For instance, in Matthew chapter 5, in the last few verses it says... That if you love your enemies, that ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. This is how we rightly divide the word of truth. When you love your enemies, it shows you that you are the children of your Father in heaven because you're showing His character. When you love your enemies, that's not how you get your name in the book of life and become a child of God and get saved and go to heaven when you die. You know, if Arminians would ever use all the other verses in the Bible that look conditional, like they use some of the faith verses, they would end up with us having to keep every single thing written in both Testaments. Yes, they would. We would have to keep every single thing written in both both Testaments to become a child of God and stand accepted before God. Because they don't rightly divide the word of truth. Abraham believed God and it was an evidence of his righteousness and God counted that faith as an act of a righteous man and declared Abraham to be righteous because of that act that only a righteous man could perform. How can a man stand before God? We're all racing to an appointment to stand before the God of heaven. He drowned this earth once and it didn't matter what those people were calling on the outside of the ark. It was the only ones, it was only the ones on the inside of the ark that were saved. And are you in the ark when the next flood comes? And the next flood isn't going to be water, it's going to be fire and God's going to burn this earth up. Are you in the ark? And the ark is Christ Jesus. You say, I don't know if I'm in the ark or not. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. That shows you're in the ark. And bring forth fruits that back up that faith as being a real and living faith. Oh, you Galatians, don't let those false teachers come in there and tell you 
that you've got to add stuff to Jesus Christ. You stand in the same place as Abraham did, believing the promises. It's not a, it's not a seed as many as the stars of heaven. That was Abraham's promise, and he believed it. It's that Jesus Christ is the appointed substitute for his people. And those people are the elect that God gave him before the world began. And believing that record of the Son of God out of Nazareth, that's proof that you're the children of Abraham. Verse 8. So, you know, we could stay on verse 7 and milk every word of that thing. But we can't. we got to go forward. And the Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith, preached before the gospel unto Abraham, saying, In thee shall all nations be blessed. I love how Paul personifies the Bible. The Scripture, foreseeing, preaching, and saying. Did you know, does your Bible talk? Does your Bible foresee? Does your Bible preach? Well, it does because God put, it does in this way that God declared things in there where God was preaching and doing some saying. And the Bible records it. And when God said to Abraham, in thee shall all nations be blessed, that was a preaching of the gospel. And it was this aspect of the gospel. Jesus Christ is going to save his elect out of every nation. And you better, you better hear those words. And you better love those words. Cause we're from different nations, folks. We're from different kindreds. We're from different tribes. And we're from different tongues in the ancient past. But that was the gospel being preached. In Genesis 12 and verse 3, the gospel was preached. And it was a spiritual message. Genesis 12, 3. All nations of the earth shall be blessed in thee and thy seed. Whoso blesseth thee shall be blessed, and I will curse him that curseth thee. That's Genesis 12, 3. Altered a little bit from my memory. That verse is so corrupted today. They believe that that verse means as long as we send enough F-15s and, and K-ration meals left over from World War II to the Israelite army, that God's going to bless our nation. That is what most Christians believe about Genesis 12.3. That God will bless us as a nation if we take care of that nation of people over there in the Middle East called Israelites. God doesn't consider them the children of Abraham. And neither do they when you read their writings. They know that they're not Semites. But that's another subject for another time. Jesus said Jerusalem will be trodden down of the Gentiles. So I want you to answer me on the authority of that verse. What kind of people are in Jerusalem today? They're not Jews and they're not Semites. They're imposters. They know it. Jesus knew it. and The Bible condemns them. That city is being trodden down of Gentiles at this hour. That's Luke 21, I believe, verse 24. But forget that point. What we want right now is the fact that when Jesus said, when, when the Lord said to Abraham, I will bless him that blesses you, curse him that curses you, and in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed, that was fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ with spiritual blessings based upon spiritual conditions. And we as a nation, and most churches have so corrupted it, they make it physical conditions for physical blessings. And they miss Christ. They look at the race instead of grace. 
They look at the race. God's chosen people are by grace. And they're out of every nation. They're not by race and only from one nation. What a travesty of misinterpretation of the Bible. It was the gospel that was preached. Not some political program for our defense department to get involved in. But you know, men like John Hagee, for those of you that watched him, you know that he's the greatest Jew lover in America. Jerry Falwell is right behind him. That fundamentalist section of the religious environment of America have moved our politicians to support Israel. Of course, there's a bunch of Jews funding them as well. The Scripture foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith. Look at Paul give us an interpretation of a verse that they're not even close to. They look at Genesis chapter 12 and verse 3 and say, if we take care of those people in the Middle East that call themselves Jews, God will bless us as a nation. You know, we'll get more bushels of corn per acre out of Iowa because we're sending F-15s to Israel when Paul said it was the blessing was God would justify Gentiles. The Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the heathen. There was a prophecy. A prophecy in Genesis 12, 3 that most people miss. And the Jews missed. They made it all nationalistic. Jesus made it, Paul made it spiritual. That it was fulfilled in Jesus Christ. In thee shall all nations be blessed. That's the conversion of Gentiles by the grace of God and their justification by Jesus Christ alone that they would be saved with an everlasting salvation out of every nation by the grace of God through Jesus Christ, and they would lay hold of it by faith. And that God's covenant people would be raised up from every nation on earth. And they will stand in heaven, and they're already many of them are already there, singing the praises of their Lord and Savior. Verse 9, So then, he repeats himself from verse 7, to convince them and to convince you and me. So then, they which be of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham. So then, my, concluding, my conclusion here from verses 6 and 8, I've concluded once in verse 7, now I'm concluding again in verse 9, is that you Galatians and anyone else that believes on Jesus Christ has received the blessing that Genesis 12.3 is talking about. Because you believe the promise of God and laid hold of Jesus Christ by faith. Believe on Him. He's the Son of God and He's coming to burn up this earth. Just as surely... As Noah worked 120 years building an ark when no one had seen rain before, a mist went up and watered the earth. For 120 years he worked on that ark because God had told him, and Hebrews 11 tells me that Noah being warned of things not seen as yet, built an ark to the saving of his house and showed the righteousness of faith by his obedience to God's promise of what he was going to do. You better lay hold of the Lord Jesus Christ and enter into that ark in your own conscience, soul, mind, and heart by believing on Jesus Christ because a flood is coming and it's not a flood of water and it's going to incinerate this earth. And it's the judgment of Almighty God against sinners. So then, verse 9, they which be of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham. 
Verse 10, for as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. Paul now is going to remind these Galatians that if they really want to go under the law, like these teachers from Jerusalem are trying to teach them, then they need to think about what the law says. Because the law doesn't give you any hope. For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, Cursed is every one that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. That's from Deuteronomy 27 and 26. Paul said, okay, if you're really getting enamored with the law of Moses, let's go back and read the law of Moses. And do you know what it says? It says if you don't continue in every single thing written in the book of the law, you're under the curse. He's already told them in 2.16, as he was rebuking Peter, he said, we Jews understand that no man can be justified by the law of Moses. He's just reminding them, if you fail in one little commandment, have you ever read the commandments of Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy? If you fail in one, then you're under the curse. God's curse. And that, this is part of public worship in Israel. Deuteronomy 27, 26, cursed. The priests were to, howl, were to scream out, Cursed is every one that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. And all the people were to say, Amen. 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 And that was the law. And these teachers were trying to put these Galatians back under it. Trying to put Gentile heathen like you and me back under the law of Moses. For as many as are of the works of the law. Now Paul is not putting these Galatians on their way to hell. It says, for as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. His point is, if you're going to go to the law, then you're cursed right now as far as your status in your understanding if you're faithful with the Word of God. Are you with me? In the distinction I'm making, Paul's not telling them that they're on their way to hell. He's telling them as far as your theology is concerned, that's where it leaves you. Let me show you. Chapter 5. Just flip over to chapter 5. Paul is not worried about the eternal life of any of the Galatians. He's worried about their understanding. And this is where we, we are so different. We cannot save a single soul from death in trespasses and sins to life in Christ. But we can certainly save God's elect from foolish and ignorant understanding of things to the truth of the gospel. And that was Paul's whole life. He said in 2 Timothy 2.10 to Timothy, Therefore I endure all things that I might add to God's elect. Therefore I endure all things for the elect's sakes. Galatians 5. Verse 2. Behold, I, Paul, say unto you, that if ye be circumcised, Christ shall profit you nothing. Does that mean if they get circumcised, they're going straight to hell? They had been saved, had been born again, were in the book of life, were elect, were justified, were accepted by God, were converted, were baptized by Paul, that if they were circumcised, they're going straight to hell? No, as far as their theology, you can't mix the two. If you add the least little thing to the gospel of Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ and his death is of no value. You have entirely thrown it out of your theology. You cannot mix the two and frustrate God's grace. He will not allow the two to be mixed. Either you are saved by works or you are saved by grace. There is no mixing of the two. They are mutually exclusive terms. Amen. That's what he means. It's, it's, it's in their understanding. 
If you add anything to Jesus Christ and the work of Jesus Christ is gone, and you are left entirely at the mercy of the law, and guess what? There ain't no mercy in the law. Verse 3, this is, how he, this is how he says it. For I testify again. What does again mean? Because I gave you this in 3.10. For I testify again to every man that is circumcised that he is a debtor to do the whole law. If you're going to go back to the law of Moses, you are a debtor to do every single thing in it. That's what he taught in chapter 3, which is why I've jumped ahead to chapter 5, because he refers back to what he's teaching us in 3 with the word again. Verse 4, Christ has become of no effect unto you. Whosoever of you are justified by the law, ye are fallen from grace. It says here that the Galatians were justified by the law. Can anyone be justified by the law? No. That is in their heads. For those, for you Galatians that have listened to those false teachers out of Jerusalem, thinking that you can stand accepted before God by the law of Moses, you've fallen from grace. You have left the true doctrine of grace. You have left the right understanding of grace. You think you're justified by the law, but look at you. I've already taught you in chapter 3, and I'm telling you here again, that if you're going to go back to the law, you've got to keep every single commandment of it or you're cursed. Back to chapter 3. That's what verse 10 is telling those Galatians. If you want to go back to the law, just remember that if you fail in one single point, it's over for you. It's curtains. You're cursed. Verse 11, but that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God, it is evident. He's telling these Galatians, I can use your own Bible. I can use your Old Testament and prove with evidence that no one is justified by the law because I have in Habakkuk chapter 2 and verse 4 these words, the just shall live by faith. Paul, this is the Holy Spirit inspired argument. You people that think the Old Testament can get you into heaven? The Old Testament itself says that's not the way to heaven because it says in Habakkuk 2.4, the just shall live by faith. It doesn't say the just. Notice, the just shall live by faith. It doesn't say the just shall live by Moses' law, but the just shall live by faith. But that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God, it is evident. It's proven by the Old Testament. Why in the world would God say the just? Those that can stand before God. What's a just man? Someone that can stand before God and he's totally innocent. He's without spot and without blame before God. That man lives by faith, not by Moses' law. And your own Bible teaches you that in the Old Testament. He's telling these Galatians. Verse 12. And the law is not of faith, but the man that doeth them shall live in them. Do versus believe. The law and faith are totally opposites. When you believe God's promise and God's performance of what He's going to do, you take yourself totally out of the picture. God does it all. Works or the law is entirely based upon what you do. God's not doing anything different for anyone. You're earning your way to heaven. Faith and law are opposites. That's what, that's what this verse is teaching. Verse 12 of Galatians 3. The law is not of faith. These two don't come together and sort of work together. They don't work together at all. Do you know what kind of faith it takes to get justified in the sight of God? Do you know what kind of faith is the evidence that you're one of God's elect and justified in His sight? It's only one kind of faith. 
the minute that you start looking to your faith, I wish you could all hear me right now. This is where, this is where we separate from the rest of the religious world. The minute you start looking to your faith as a condition or an instrument for you to be justified in the sight of God, you turn faith into a work of the law. Jesus said, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, for ye pay tithe of mint, anise, and cumin, and have omitted the weightier matters of the law, judgment, mercy, and faith. These ought ye to have done, and not to leave the others undone. Faith is a work of the law, because faith is a commandment to believe on Him. And when you start looking at your faith as the condition or the instrument that justifies you before God, you make your faith your Savior instead of Jesus Christ your Savior. I thank God for a Baptist preacher in 1647 that wrote a document, a little book, called Justification by Christ Alone. It's on our website. I sent it to you last night. I was blessed sweetly yesterday by reading again He taught the very same doctrine we teach in this church. The very same thing. That we are justified by Christ and not by our believing. And that we ought to look to Christ for our salvation and not to our believing. As soon as you take your faith and make it the vehicle that justifies you before God, you turn faith into a work of the law. Do you know what kind of faith is the true evidence of justification? Faith that believes God justifies the ungodly. Please look at Romans 4 with me. I know I'm I'm getting late, but Romans chapter 4, holding your finger at Galatians 3. Romans 4. The Arminian doctrine of salvation is by the works of the law. God makes no difference between men or among men. The difference is entirely based upon what you do. They'll, They'll say the words, God has done all that He can do. Now it's all up to you. Oh, Paul said... No, 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 it's not. It wasn't up to Abraham. It was up to God's promise. Look at Romans chapter 4. Let's get verse 4 and 5. Look at verse 3. It's the same. Do you know that Romans chapter 4 is the same as Galatians chapter 3? I mean, they're twin chapters in the Bible. That's why I've had you read them the last couple of Saturday nights. Look at verse 3. For what saith the Scripture? Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. That's the same as Galatians 3.6. It's from, Roman, it's from Genesis 15.6. Abraham believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness. Now to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. If you're doing anything to work by some condition or some instrument of being justified, then God owes you salvation by debt. And trust me, He doesn't owe salvation to anyone. Verse 5, But here's a different way of believing. And a different way of approaching salvation. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. His faith is counted for righteousness like Abraham's faith was counted for righteousness when we don't work in any way except to believe the promises of God that are in Jesus Christ. That those that believe on Jesus Christ show the character of a righteous man because only God's elect that are justified and have the righteousness of Christ would ever believe the Gospel. It's those that believe God justifies the ungodly. It is not faith that believe 
but believes God justifies believers. God justifies the ungodly. As soon as you switch that over to God justifies believers, meaning your belief is the condition or the instrument to be justified, you've left the faith that is counted for righteousness. God wants you to cast yourself upon His promise and His mercy alone by faith. It doesn't work, but believes that God justifies ungodly men. Praise the God of heaven. The law is not of faith. The two of them are opposites. The man that doeth them shall live in them. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law. Verse 13 of chapter 3 of Galatians. Being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is every one that hangeth on a tree. The Lord Jesus Christ, when He died on the cross of Calvary, did two things. He suffered capital punishment by the law of God. You know, verse 10 had already told these Galatians that they were under the curse. Verse 13 tells them how they got out from under the curse. And it wasn't because of something they did. It was because of something someone else did for them. Christ became a curse for us on the cross of Calvary. When He died on the cross of Calvary, He died under the law of Moses, charged with the curse for all His people. Capital punishment. There were different ways you could die in Israel. You could be stoned to death and you could be hung on a tree. Jesus was hung on a tree and we're told about it in the Old Testament that that is a more severe way of killing a man where you suspend him in sight throughout the day and bury him only when darkness approaches. The Lord Jesus Christ, the, the Lord Jesus Christ first of all died under the curse of our sins and then he died in an ignominious way by being hanged on a tree. So he was twice cursed under the law of Moses. Not only for our sins, but also in the way that he died, hanging on that tree. And that's the deliverance from the curse of the law. And Paul is telling these Galatians, you are condemned by the law that you're running back toward. The only deliverance you have is Jesus Christ. And if you'll go to your own law, he was condemned by your law, and he was condemned and cursed by the way that he died under your own law and what it says about hanging on a tree. Christ did everything in verse 13. So when we come to verse 14, that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ. How does the blessing come? God told Abraham in Genesis 12:3, In thee shall all nations of the earth be blessed. How does it come? Through Jesus Christ. What is the blessing? Justification. How does it come? By Jesus Christ. That the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. After that ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession. Paul's returning to his arguments of verse 2 and verse 5 of this chapter by saying, Jesus Christ brought the blessing of Abraham upon us Gentiles, and when you believed, you were sealed and shown to be God's property, the purchased possession. You were shown to be God's property by the Holy Spirit that was given to you, which is a result of faith. That's when we lay hold of God and believe the Gospel, and God rewards that faith with an extra measure of His Holy Spirit who already regenerated us, but now fills our heart and testifies to us that we are indeed the sons of God. His purchased possession. It's the earnest of our inheritance. Abraham had an inheritance. It's called Abraham's bosom. 
we have that same inheritance and we've been given an earnest deposit of it. It's the Holy Spirit of God. And the Holy Spirit of God is given to us when we believe the gospel and are baptized and obey it. You know that from the day of Pentecost. It's the same way today. It's just not visible today like it was for 40 years after the day of Pentecost. Verse 15. Brethren, I speak after the manner of men. He's going to make a natural argument in verse 15. Brethren, I speak after the manner of men. Though it be but a man's covenant, yet if it be confirmed, no man disannulleth or addeth thereto. Brethren, just think. If one man promises another man something, and the two of them agree on the terms of it, no man can say that covenant doesn't stand, and no man can add anything else to it, because the two parties have already agreed to it. That's natural reasoning. And if we, we can reason from the natural to the spiritual, when God's made a promise and it's been confirmed by His oath, no one can disannul it and no one can add anything to it. And what were the teachers out of Jerusalem trying to do? Add something to it. That's what verse 15 means. A natural argument. We've already got the promise of God and His covenant and it's already set, signed, sealed, and delivered. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Do you know what David said? That everlasting covenant was all my salvation and all my desire. Amen. On his deathbed. 2 Samuel chapter 23. That's what David said. That's how simple verse 15 is. Verse 16. And with this I close. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. Oh, what, remember, what kind of promises? If we go back and read Genesis 12 through 24. 12 through 24, 13 chapters dedicated to the life of Abraham. What promises? Land. Defeated enemies. A seed as multitudinous as the stars of heaven. An inheritance. Blessing on all Gentile nations. Are those physical? Are those spiritual? Look at, what the, look at what the Apostle Paul wants to teach us. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. And you can go back and it is, it is a pleasure to look up every verse between Genesis 12 and 24 and find where it says to Abraham and his seed, to thee and to thy seed, will I do this, will I give this, will I do this, will I give that. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made, period. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. Do you know what Paul says in that sentence? Whatever Bible you're holding in your hands, when you go back to Genesis 12 through 24, every promise had better be to Abraham and his seed. But do you know what happens when you go back to Genesis 12 through 24 with a, with a new King James Version that's plagiarized the King James Version and taken its name? What do you think it has back there? What, what do you think it has? Descendants. To Abraham and his descendants were the promises made. That is high heresy. How in the world can a board of editors sit down and sign off on a Bible when they know what Galatians 3.16 is? This, this, this verse is not hid in the obscurity of the last ten chapters of Ezekiel. This is Galatians 3.16. How can they sign off on a Bible version that when you go back to Genesis 12-24, through 24, every promise was to Abraham and his descendants? When it says every promise better be to Abraham and his seed. Am I the only one that gets mad about such things? I hope you've got fire burning in your hearts. What's been the con job that's been done in America in the last 100 years with their Bible versions? 
Let's look back at that 16th verse. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He saith not, and to seeds, as of many, but as of one, and to thy seed. And we'll leave the last few words off for a second. Paul said, the Old Testament, the Old Testament that is a true Old Testament, the Old Testament that God approves of, uses a singular noun for one, not a plural noun, as of many. And they take it, and I've got the Bibles in my pulpit this morning, but we don't have the time. You can look at them. I'll show you the verses. I've got them all in the outline. Every promise made to Abraham and his seed, they changed to Abraham and his descendants. When the New Testament tells us the Old Testament had better say seed. It better be singular. It can't be plural because it's not by race. It's by grace. It's in Christ. We want all the promises in Christ. And so Paul is telling Gentiles that all the promises were made in Jesus Christ. They weren't put into Isaac. Oh, and before we get out of this chapter, you're all the children of Abraham. He's already told us that in verse 7, but he's going to say it again. And before we get out of the book of Galatians, he's going to say that you're all the children of the free woman. You are Isaac compared to Ishmael. The Israelites of Paul's day were the Ishmaelite, were, were, uh, were, were from Esau rather than Jacob. And we're, we're, and we're going to read that before we get out of the book of Galatians. But right here, he wants you to know one thing. Every promise made to Abraham was made to Abraham and his seed. Singular. He didn't say seeds. He didn't say descendants. He didn't say anything plural. He said singular because it was all wrapped up in Jesus Christ. The land, the inheritance, the seed, the blessings, defeating the enemies, all of it wrapped up in the Lord Jesus Christ. You, you want to look at something political? You want a political program to help your nation? I'll give you a political program to help your nation. You know what it's going to be? Allow the free preaching of Jesus Christ and defend all gospel preachers. Amen. America is great. America is great as a nation, not because they defended the Jews, but because they allowed free gospel preaching in this country from the beginning. It was tried sorely in New England. But we have a Bill of Rights in this country that defends the rights of Baptists to preach the true gospel of Jesus Christ. We have a tax code that gives privileges to ministers of the gospel by that name. That's why America is great. America is not great because they send F-15s to the Middle East. America is great because they have endorsed the gospel of Jesus Christ as a nation for a long time. They're no longer doing it. That was all an answer to the question, would you like to hear about a political program? I don't preach political programs. I preach spiritual inheritance and spiritual blessings, and they're all wrapped up in Jesus Christ, the true seed of Abraham. And this is why we use a King James Bible. We use a King James Bible because when you go back to Genesis, you will not find a single promise made to Abraham and his seeds. You will not find a single promise made to Abraham and his descendants. Every single one is to Abraham and his seed, singular, because God is trying to tell you that every single promise was made in Jesus Christ, and it's fulfilled in Jesus Christ, and all the promises of Abraham are ours, because they're spiritual. You poor Galatians. These men coming out of Jerusalem want to tell you that you need to go back under the law? You mean you need to get cursed? You mean you need to go back to something that didn't even have the Spirit of God? No one could perform any miracles? It didn't include the blessing of Abraham? What power. What wonderful liberation Paul gave. And we trust the grace of God 
that there were Galatians that read this epistle and got up out of that assembly and threw those false teachers out and gave them a one-way ticket back to Jerusalem and said, don't come back. Let them be accursed. Paul had told them in chapter 1, Brethren, know ye something. Know ye therefore. Know ye therefore that we're all the children of Abraham and inheritors of the promises. Abraham's bosom and a city made by God is ours. The multitude that no man can number is in heaven. It's the body of the elect out of every nation. See, God has blessed every nation through Abraham and his seed. How? Because Jesus Christ justified men out of every nation, tribe, tongue, and people. Amen. Praise the God of heaven. Yes. Salvation is by grace from beginning to end. It has nothing to do with race, and it's been given to us Gentiles from every nation, even the United States of America in the year 2006. Praise his glorious name. Amen.